morning. If you would, open up your scriptures to Mark chapter 11, verse 1. We're going to be going through what is traditionally called Palm Sunday this morning because this is uh, the celebration of um, Palm Sunday through the Resurrection Sunday. And if you would, just read along with me. That's Mark 11, verse 1. And it says, Now when they drew near to Jerusalem, to Bethage and Bethany, the Mount of Olives, Jesus sent two of his disciples and said to them, Go into the village in front of you, and immediately as you enter it, you will find a colt tied, on which no one has ever sat. Untie it and bring it. If anyone says to you, Why are you doing this? Say, The Lord has need of it, and will send it back here immediately. And they went away and found a colt tied at a door outside in the street, and they untied it. And some of those standing there said to them, What are you doing, untying the colt? And they told them what Jesus had said, and they let them go. And they brought the colt to Jesus and threw their coats on it, and he sat on it. And many spread their coats on the road, and others spread leafy branches that they had cut from the fields. And those who went before and those who followed were shouting, Hosanna, blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord. Blessed is the kingdom of our father, David, Hosanna in the highest. And he entered Jerusalem and went into the temple. And when he had looked around at everything, as it was already late, he went out to uh, Bethany with the twelve. Let's pray. Dear Father God, Lord, we thank you, God, for sending your son. As we read through the Gospels, Lord, as we get to the last week of his life here on earth, Lord, we thank you for, for the, the price he paid, Lord. We thank you for the, the grace that is offered to, to all those that um, trust in him, Lord. I pray as we are home, Lord, right now, and as we are home this week, as we are coming up to Resurrection Sunday next weekend, Lord, that we, re- we have time, Lord, and uh, time to reflect on what all this means, God. Um, I pray that family units, Lord, are worshiping you and praising you, Lord. And I, I pray for those that um, may not know what this is all about, Lord, that they would hear the message today and throughout this week clearly of the good news of your son you sent here to die on the cross for our sins and to be raised on the third day, Lord, as Lord of lords and King of kings, Lord. We praise you for that. Be with us this morning in your son's name. Amen. As I'm sure we all know, next week is Easter or what we like to call Resurrection Sunday. And this is going to be a very unusual Easter for us here at Country Oaks. Uh, But as we've been saying all along with this virus and the separation that we have right now, God's not surprised by this. And I really believe this is an awesome opportunity to celebrate the Resurrection Sunday as families, as one of the most basic units within the church, families together, worshiping and reflecting what what Jesus has done for us on the cross and, and him being raised on the third day. And we really want to help you do this, as Craig said earlier, Uh, We are going to be doing devotions throughout the week um, on each day of the Holy Week or the Passion Week. Um, Today we're going to talk about Palm Sunday, which is a week before Resurrection Sunday. Tomorrow there'll be a devotion on what happened that Monday in the Holy Week. And so I think it's an awesome opportunity to to celebrate its families, and uh, maybe you can grab your family and listen to those devotions throughout the week. 
Uh, they should be about 10 minutes long, and uh, you guys can celebrate and reflect on this week together. Um, Sunday, again, today is uh, what is often called Palm Sunday, and uh, it's the week before Easter or Resurrection Sunday. And if you're a non-believer this morning and you've tuned in, and I'd love for you to listen through the sermon this morning. And I just want to take a second and talk to you. Most non-believers believe that Jesus was a man and he was a good teacher or a role model. But he can't just be a good teacher. And I want to make that clear. C.S. Lewis has made this argument that Jesus has to be one of three things. Either he was crazy, delusional, Right? He thought he truly was God, and he wasn't. Either he was crazy or, or a liar. He made it all up, and he's tricked millions and millions and millions of followers. Or he was exactly what he claimed to be, the Son of God, the Messiah. What he can't be is just a good teacher or just a role model. Another thing you can't say if you're a skeptic or an unbeliever, is that Jesus wasn't important. Even if he was crazy or a liar, he has changed the face of this earth. You can't deny that. I mean, just think about this, and I can go into many different historical facts of how he's changed the face of the earth, but it is 2020 right right now, the year, because Jesus Christ lived 2,020 years ago. The world sets its calendar on him. We can't ignore the reality of Jesus. And today's passage really puts into motion, into motion the most important eight days of his life. And really the most important eight days of human history. Palm Sunday to Easter Sunday or Resurrection Sunday. Today's passage is often called Jesus' triumphal entry or Palm Sunday because people lay down palm branches as he's entering into Jerusalem. They're praising him. This is the Sunday before his death and resurrection. There's three points I'd like to go over this morning. Three points are this. The mission of Jesus, the misunderstanding of man, and the movement to the real issue. Those are the three points this morning. The mission of Jesus, the misunderstanding of man, and the movement to the real issue. So let's start with the mission of Jesus. Look at verse 1 again. This is Mark 11, verse 1. Now when they drew near to Jerusalem, to Bethphage, and Bethany of the Mount of Olives, Jesus sent two of his disciples and said to them, Go into the village in front of you, and immediately you will enter it. You will find a colt tied, on which no one has ever sat. Untie it and bring it. If anyone says to you, Why are you doing this? Say, The Lord has need of it, and will send it back here immediately. And then went away and found a colt and tied it, uh, and tied at a door outside in the street, and they untied it. And some of those standing there said to them, What are you doing, untying the colt? And they told them what Jesus had said, and they let them go. And they brought the colt to Jesus and threw their coats on it, and and, uh, threw their coats on it, and he sat on it. Just real quick, look at verse 1 again. It says, Now they drew near to Jerusalem, to Bethphage and Bethany, the Mount of Olives, and Jesus sent two of his disciples. This, if you look at a map, is about two miles outside of Jerusalem. And I just want to make that clear because they didn't need a donkey. That was an easy walk, two miles, to get to Jerusalem. So why did Jesus send these disciples to go get a donkey? Why a donkey? I have three reasons why, at least. And let me just go through those real quick. First, 
to show that Jesus knew exactly what was going to happen. I mean, look at these details. Verse 2, and he said to them, go into the village in front of you, and immediately you'll enter it, and you'll, you'll find a colt tied on which one has uh, ever sat, untie it and bring it. I mean, these are exact details of what they were going to see, these disciples, as they went into town. Verse 3, it says this, if anyone says to you, why are you doing this? Say, the Lord has need of it, and we'll send it back here immediately. I mean, exactly what was going to happen. Jesus was predicting. Remember, this is Passion Week. This is days before the crucifixion. Right? Jesus was showing his disciples, and really us, that he wasn't surprised by the cross. He knew exactly what was going to happen in this week. In fact, Luke 9, 51 says, when the days drew near for him to be taken up, right, to die, he set his face to go to Jerusalem. He is the one that went to Jerusalem, knowing exactly what would happen. And so the donkey shows us in going and getting the donkey that Jesus knew exactly what would happen. The second reason why a donkey is that a donkey symbolized the reason why Jesus came to Jerusalem in the first place. Right? Donkeys in ancient Israel were written by kings in times of peace. The donkey really symbolized peace and that Jesus came to bring peace between God and man. If Jesus came on a horse in his first coming, we would have all been in trouble. Horses symbolize power and war. In fact, Jesus one day will come on a horse, and it's scary. <laughs> Revelation 19.11 says this, Then I saw heaven open, and behold, a white horse. The one sitting on it was called Faithful and True, and in righteousness he judges and makes war. His eyes are like a flame of fire, and on his head are many uh, diadems, and he has a name written that no one knows but himself. He is clothed in a rope dipped in blood, robe dipped in blood, and the name by which he is called is the word of God. And the armies of heaven, arrayed in, in fine linen, white and pure, were following him on white horses. From his mouth comes a sharp sword with which to strike down the nations, and he will rule them with a, a rod of iron. He will tread the winepress of the fury of the wrath of God, the Almighty. And on his robe and on his thigh, he has a name written, King of Kings and Lord of Lords. This is no Jesus is my homeboy Jesus here. This is a scary, terrifying Jesus, and this is the Jesus that will come back. And I just want to warn you, Jesus is coming, right? And his second coming will be terrifying for those that are his enemies. Listen, in his first coming, in Jesus' first coming, he came to bring peace between God and man by dying on the cross for our sins to satisfy God's wrath. And that's why he rode on a donkey. The third reason for a donkey was to show that Jesus is the true Messiah, that he truly was the Messiah. Jesus came on a donkey to make a statement. By riding a donkey, he was saying, I am the Messiah. Right? He was fulfilling a 500-year-old prophecy found in Zechariah 9.9, which says this, Rejoice greatly, O daughters of Zion. Shout aloud, O daughters of Jerusalem, behold, your king is coming, 
righteous and having salvation is he humble and mounted on a donkey, on a colt, the fowl of a donkey. Right? Zechariah 9.9, it says this, humble and mounted on a donkey, he came humbly, not with force, humble, right, gentle, meek, a powerful king with all the power of God of the universe who came humbly to bring peace. That is the mission of Jesus. Which brings us to our next point this morning, the misunderstanding of man. The misunderstanding of man. If you look at verse 8, it says this, And many spread their coats on the road, and others spread leafy branches that they had cut from the fields. And those who went before and those who followed were shouting, Hosanna, blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord. Blessed is the coming kingdom of our father David. Hosanna in the highest. These are really a couple very interesting verses if you think of the context of the passage and what is going on in this week. It leads to some questions that I think we should ask and answer. The first question is this. Who was this crowd that was cheering for Jesus as he entered Jerusalem? The answer really is simple. It's Israel. It's the nation of Israel. It is Passover. Remember, this week is the Passover week as we will be talking about through the devotions starting tomorrow. Meaning Jews traveling from all over because this was a traveling holiday. Thousands of Jews from all over the known world have traveled to Jerusalem this week. This crowd was Israel. Thousands of Israelites praising Jesus. The nation of Israel praising Jesus. Which leads to a second question. Why put down their coats and palm branches? We call this Palm Sunday. Why were they putting their coats down? Well, what, one historian, historian wrote this. It was an ancient custom for citizens to throw their garments on the road um, for their king to ride over, symbolizing their respect for him and their submission to his authority. It was as to say, we place ourselves at your feet, even to walk over us if necessary. Which I think that question leads to a third question. Where were these people a week later? When Jesus was being arrested, falsely accused, being crucified, the answer is this, spitting at him, shouting, crucify him. Right, this crowd turns on Jesus, again, as we will see throughout this week. But that leads to a fourth question. This is probably the most important question we can ask. What happened? What happened? How do you go from worshiping a man, saying you are our king, you are our, our savior, right? Laying down coats and, and palm branches saying, ride over us if necessary. We submit to you as Lord to spitting at him, to having him killed, to cheering on those that are doing it. Look at verse 9 again. It says this, Hosanna, blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord. Blessed is the the kingdom of our father David, Hosanna in the highest. Just go through those words real quick. They, sh they were shouting, son of David, which means king or lord, because David was, was the king, the greatest king of Israel, and this was the son of him, and, and the prophecy pointed to him being the king, a son of David coming that would be king. They were shouting, our king. And they were shouting, Hosanna, which is a word that just meant praising someone. Shouting Hosanna towards someone. But it literally means save us. Save us. 
in essence, they were shouting to Jesus, you are our Lord and Savior. You are our Lord and Savior. And one week later, they're shouting, crucify him. Why? What happened? Well, simply, they had a wrong understanding. They had a wrong doctrine of the Messiah. They had a wrong doctrine of Lord and Savior. What did they mean by, by Lord and Savior? Lord, and we will follow you as long as you give us what we want. And Savior, Savior of the Romans. Savior, really, of these earthly circumstances we have found ourselves in that we don't like. They're focused on earthly circumstances, their earthly life, a earthly kingdom. So much so that they were, they were blinded to their real problem, which is sin. Sin has always been Israel's real problem. All the way back in the wilderness, 40 years wandering in the wilderness, complaining the whole time to God. And why were they in the wilderness? Sin. Listen, the wilderness wasn't the problem. Sin was. We get to the book of Joshua, and they enter in the promised land. They're out of the wilderness, and then you get to the book of Judges, and nation after nation comes and oppresses Israel. And you get these 12 cycles of, of Israel sinning, worshiping false gods, God sending a foreign nation to oppress them, them crying out, Israel crying out in distress, and God raising up judges to save them. Then what happens right after that? They start worshiping false gods again. They fall right back into sin again. Listen, the foreign nations weren't the problem. False worship was. Sin was the problem. You get the first and second Samuel and Israel, instead of looking within Saying, saying the problem is sin, they cry out to God for a king. They say, we want to be like other nations. Solve the issue by giving us a king. They thought the king would make everything better. Still thinking of an earthly kingdom. So God gave them a king. Saul, then David, then Solomon. And actually, this becomes the high point of Israel's history. Israel is honored. They're wealthy, materially wealthy. They had rest. There was no wars going on. They're a powerful nation. Earthly circumstances were good till Solomon's heart drifted. He started worshiping wealth and women and sacrificing to false gods and making idols throughout Israel. Listen, Solomon and Israel sinned. You get the first and second kings and you see the same thing. King after king worshiping false gods. Israel falling into idolatry. So God sends foreign nations to attack and oppress Israel. And this continues right into the New Testament. Israel is under the oppression of Rome, and they hated it. They wanted a, to be a sovereign nation, and they were ready for a revolution to revolt against, against Rome. And the Jewish mindset was this. The problem is Rome. The problem is the Gentiles that are attacking us. The problem is these other nations. It's one of the reasons they hated Gentiles so much, as we see in, in Ephesians. They thought their problem was their circumstances. They looked forward to a Messiah, Messiah, a Savior, that they thought would be a warrior that would come and destroy the Romans. But listen, Rome was never the problem. What was the real problem? What has always been Israel's true, real problem? 
Israel's sin. Sin has always been the real problem. Listen, this has always been Satan's game plan. He wants us, and when I say us, man, all of us, he wants man to be so focused on outward circumstances that they are blinded to their real problem, which is a sinful heart. He wants you to look everywhere else besides within. He wants you saying, if, if only I had that job, if only my husband or my wife, if only my children would listen, if only my health was better, then everything would be good. Listen, the devil hates you. He hates you. And if he can get you to focus on earthly circumstances, then he can blind you to your real problem, your heart, sin. The opposite is true, too, here. Jesus loves you. He loves you. He came to earth not to make your circumstances better, but to address the real issue, which is sin. Look at verse 9 again. It says this, Hosanna, blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord. Blessed is, is the coming kingdom of our, our father David. Hosanna in the highest. And they're saying, son of David, king, Hosanna, save us. Jesus is our Lord and Savior. A week later, they're saying, crucify him. What do they mean, Lord, as long as you give us what we want, our kingdom, a, a better earthly cir- circumstances, comfort, riches, wealth, health. What do they mean by Savior? Savior of Rome. Savior from our bad earthly circumstances. What does the Bible mean by Lord and Savior? Lord, no matter what. We will follow you, Jesus, no matter where it takes us. Savior from sin. And not just sin, in particular, Savior from God's wrath towards our sin. One pastor put it this way. Israel heard Jesus' message They attested to his miracles, and they even acknowledged his divinity, but they rejected his saviorhood and lordship. They were totally earthbound, materialistic, and self-satisfied. They were interested only in the kingdom of this world, earthly circumstances, not the kingdom of heaven. They would have accepted Jesus as their earthly king, but they they would not have them have him as their heavenly king. Satan's game plan, have Israel and us so focused on our outward circumstances that we are blinded to the real problem, which is a sinful heart. Which leads me to the third point this morning, and that's the movement toward the real problem. The movement toward the real problem. Look at verse 11. And he entered Jerusalem and went into the temple which, by the way, is the heart of Israel. And when he had looked around at everything, as it was already late, he went out to Bethany with the twelve. I just want to paint the picture of what's going on because we need to know the context of the story. Right? Jews thought the Messiah would be this warrior Messiah right? that would leave a revolution, revolt against the Roman Empire, and overthrow him. It is Passover week. Now think about that. They are celebrating God freeing Israel by overthrowing Egypt. In in ancient times, that was the most powerful nation of the day. What a perfect week to start a revolution. There's two million Jews that have, in one location, thousands and thousands of Jews that have, have traveled to Jerusalem. And some historians say that there was about two million Jews in that one spot in that time. 
And Jesus has proven to be powerful. Ridiculous miracles. Healing whole cities. If there was a time for revolution, an uprising against the Roman Empire, it was now. But I want you to see what happens. The very next day, look at verse 15. And they came to Jerusalem. This is Monday. And they came to Jerusalem, and he entered the temple. That's the heart of Israel. And he began to drive out those who sold and those who uh, bought in the temple. And he overturned tables of the money changers and the seats of those who sold pigeons. Jesus doesn't attack the Romans. He attacks the temple. Jesus came to address the real issue, and that is the sin of Israel, the sin of his people. And look at Mark 11, 11. This is Jesus moving towards the real problem, Israel's sin. Verse 11, he entered into Jerusalem. The first place he goes, he goes into the temple. And when he looked around at everything, and he saw all the sin and corruption of this temple... As it was already late, he went out to Bethany with the twelve. The next day he was going to come and address that corruption and sin. In Jesus' first coming, I just want to make it clear, he didn't come to overthrow the Romans. He came to address mankind's real problem, mankind's real issue, and that is sin. He came to save sinners. He came to make peace to die on the cross for our sins, to take the punishment that that we owe, to satisfy God's just holy wrath so that we could have a relationship with God. He came to bring peace. So there's a few takeaways from our passage this morning. And I think the biggest one that we see in the triumphal entry in Palm Sunday something that we can apply to our lives and understanding that Satan's game plan is this. He wants you to be so focused on your outward circumstances. And you know what? We're in the middle of some interesting outward circumstances, are we not? There might be some hard financial times coming. God's in control. We shouldn't fear. But hopefully, as Craig says, that brings out some idols of the heart that we can address. Satan wants you to be so focused on the outward things that you are blinded to the real problem, which is your heart, the sin that is within. He wants you to blame shift. He wants you to say, if I only had fill in the blank, I'll be happy. Instead of, I need to address what's going on in here. Instead of looking at God as as your only and ultimate satisfaction. But I want to move past that. I don't know who's listening this morning. I want to address you if you're not a Christian, and if you're a Christian, I think it's important that you listen to this too, but if you're not a Christian this morning, you don't have a relationship with the Lord, you might be wondering, because I think sometimes you look at Christians, and we're kind of odd. It's true. I'm okay with that. You might be wondering, why should I follow Christ as Lord and Savior if he's not going to make my earthly circumstances better? And I know there's a lot of so-called Christians and false prophets and false teachers out there that, that say that Jesus came to make you healthy, wealthy, and prosperous. But that's not true. That's not why he came. So why follow him if he's not promising earthly circumstances to be better? I have five reasons, just real quick, I want to give you. The first one is this. It's a command. I think we forget this, and, and even as Christians, we forget that the gospel message is not just a good idea 
It's not something that we're asking you to do. It is a command by God. Mark 1.15 says this, The time is fulfilled. The kingdom of God is at hand. Repent and believe. That's an imperative. Repent and believe in the gospel. It's not a suggestion. The God of the universe has commanded you to repent and believe in the gospel and follow Christ. Which leads to a second reason. Why follow Christ if my earthly circumstances? He's not promising my earthly circumstances to get better. Following Christ brings salvation from the wrath of God. Like Jesus will come back. In the second, second coming, it's clear. Read Revelations. It's, it's, it's scary. It's terrifying if you are not a believer. The second coming will be different than his first coming. The second coming will be on a horse. He won't come to save his enemy in the second coming. He will come to destroy his enemy. And listen, without faith in Christ, you are an enemy of God. The Bible is clear. James 4.4, you adulterous people, do you not know that friendship with the world is enmity with God? Therefore, whoever wishes to be a friend of the world makes himself an enemy of God. Which leads to a third reason, right? Earthly circumstances may not get better if you follow Christ. Jesus doesn't promise that. But we can rest in the fact that God uses all things for the good of those that love him and his glory. Romans 8, 28, which is one of my favorite verses in all of scripture. And we know that for those who love God, all things work together for good. For those who are called according to his purpose want to make clear this is a promise only for those who believe in Jesus. God uses everything, every circumstance for his glory. But for those that love God, for those who love God, those who have put their faith in him, all things work together for good. The fourth reason why to follow Christ, even though your earthly circumstances might not get better by following him, is this. God's glory is the only thing in reality that will bring true, lasting joy and satisfaction. God's glory is the only thing in reality that will bring true, lasting joy and satisfaction. Not riches, not power, not a perfect marriage, not obedient children, not health, not a comfortable life. Right? Scripture teaches you can have all the suffering and bad earthly circumstances in the world, but if you have a close relationship with God, and you are close to the glory of God, you will be filled with joy, peace, and comfort through those sufferings. Like Paul has proven this, to live is Christ, to die is gain. Just read Philippians. He talks about joy all the time as he's going through some harsh earthly circumstances. Stephen is another great example of this. As he's getting stoned and persecuted, God opens up the heavens, and he is able to see the glory of God, and he forgets, full of joy. In that time. But listen, the opposite of this is true too. You can have everything. You can have everything this world has to offer, but if you don't have a relationship with God, it will not satisfy. And America is the richest country that's ever been. We are the most comfortable country that, that, that has ever... We just, this unique situation that, that we live in, and I'm not talking about this virus, I'm just talking about our lives living in America as the most comfortable human beings have ever been, ever. And yet we're the most depressed country that's ever been. 
were more depressed than any other country in the world. Good earthly circumstances won't make you happy. Only God's glory will satisfy. Which leads to the fifth and final reason why I follow Christ. And there's more. There's just five that I've pulled out. Fifth and final reason is this. Eternity is a lot longer than this life. Matthew 10, 28 says this, and do not fear those who kill the body. And I would include, again, I've used this before, this virus. Don't fear the virus. Right? Who can kill, kill the body but cannot kill the soul. Rather, fear him who can destroy both the soul and body in hell forever. Hell is eternal. Matthew 6, 24 says this, and Jesus told his disciples, if anyone would come after me, in other words, be a disciple of mine, follow me, let him deny himself and take up his cross and follow me. That's, that's death, and actually that's brutal death. And the question that we should be asking, I think is appropriate, is why follow you then, Jesus? He answers, verse 25, he says this, for whoever would save his life, and that's talking about earthly life. If you, would, if you say, I'm not going to follow you because I, I like my earthly life and I don't want to lose it, Jesus says, we'll lose it. But whoever loses his life, his earthly life, for my sake, will find it. For what can it, what will it profit a man if he gains the whole world and forfeits his soul? You gain the whole world and die. Or what shall a man give in return for his soul? Nothing. You see those bumper stickers that say the man or the one that ends with the most toy wins. No, the one that ends with the most toys dies and then faces judgment. Put your faith in Christ this morning because eternity is so much longer than this life. And joy is only found in a relationship with the Lord. I pray if you're not a Christian um, that this week you really reflect on who this Jesus was. And that you cry out to God for mercy. That you put your faith in him because he came to bring peace by dying on the cross for your sins. And on the third day, he was raised from the dead, proving that he, is, he has conquered death. And he's rightfully the King of kings and Lord of lords. Put your faith in him this morning. I want to, before I close, just remind you again, this week we're going to have a devotions walking through the Holy Week. I encourage you as families to listen through these devotions and, and learn better what happened in this week. It's the most important week in, in human history, and to be honest, I think it's the most important week you see in Scripture. There's four different gospel accounts, and, and the gospel accounts spend a lot of time in this one week. It's an important week, and we should understand what is happening day by day in this week, and I would encourage you to do that. Again, as always, I would encourage you to stay connected in your growth groups. Um, I think every single growth group is using Zoom to, to um, do their um, uh, Bible studies throughout the week. If you don't have a growth group, we would love for you to join one. This is a good time to do that. Please call the church, and we get you connected with one that, that might fit you. Um, I thank you for this week. Next week is Easter Sunday, and we'll be doing a Resurrection Sunday sermon and service. And I pray that it is a joy for your family to celebrate together the risen Christ. Let's pray. Dear Heavenly Father, God, Lord, 
I know there's many, many out there that call you Lord and Savior in our country, Lord, around the world that have the wrong understanding of Lord and Savior. And that wrong understanding is going to cost, Lord. I pray that you get this message out, Lord, who you truly are, Lord. That we live in a postmodern time where truth doesn't matter, but, but that's different than a, a biblical worldview. The biblical worldview says truth matters, and we see that clearly in the story with Israel, who had the, the wrong understanding of you. Who are so focused on their earthly lives, their, their earthly kingdoms, that they forgot that this earthly time is so short. That there is a whole eternity that matters so much more. God, I pray for those that are Christians that are watching right now. Lord, I pray for myself that we are bold in our Christianity, knowing that the calling to follow you is, is sacrificing everything. But that's okay because we have gained everything, a relationship with God, the only thing that will satisfy our souls. Help us to truly believe that and walk in faith, Lord, with bold lives that represent that, Lord. Be with us in this time, Lord. Again, I think this is a perfect opportunity to share the good news, Lord. I pray that Country Oaks is just bold with every interaction they have with someone in the, in the community, Lord, that they share the, the, the gospel, the good news of your son boldly, Lord, proclaiming the truth that you came, you entered in Jerusalem, Lord. You died on the cross for our sins, you were raised on the third day, proving that you have paid the price and, and that you are king of kings and lord of lords and that you have made a way, a way to life, Lord. I pray that message is clearly heard into Hatch being around the world this week. In your son's name, amen.